that in these coming moments as we look to your word, that spirits, you would speak through your word, that you would focus our minds in on your teaching. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we have been looking this summer at different psalms each week, and we have seen how the psalms proclaim that God is creator and we are creatures. God is king and we are his subjects. God is the shepherd and we are his sheep. He deserves our worship. He requests our allegiance and he offers his loving care for us. The Psalms show us and teach us about intimacy with the living God. This morning, we're going to spend some time in Psalm 5. So I invite you to turn there. And as you turn there, be reminded that this that we have is an incredible gift from the Lord. This is the infallible word of God passed down for generations, translated into thousands of languages inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is of supreme authority on all matters on which it speaks. This is a gift that we have in God's word. So we look and listen to Psalm 5, and we'll start with just the first three verses, and then we'll move through after that. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait patiently. We hear this voice from King David. He's expressing to God his need for help. So note a few things about these first few verses. Note his self-reflection, his desperation, and his declaration. His self-reflection in he, the king of the Israelite people, he has power, he has fame, he has money. He, he, the king, he needs help. That takes some self-reflection for the king to own that he needs help. And he's doing it in in a desperate way. He's crying out for help. So he's not just simply asking, hey, I could use a little help here when you're ready, if you have a chance. He's crying for help. And he's addressing his declaration is that the person he's going to for help is the Lord who he sees as his God and his king. So David knows that he needs help. He's feeling desperate and he's crying out to his God and his king. I remember a time about a month ago when I was expressing a prayer something like this. I needed help. I was feeling desperate and I was looking to the Lord to provide some help. My family and I had just enjoyed a fantastic day at Six Flags Great America, and our kids are loving roller coasters, and we rode so many roller coasters that day. We took off from the park at about 8 p.m. to head three hours back home. And about halfway into that trip, around 9.30, we're driving along the highway, everything's going well, and my service engine soon light comes on. So I think, all right, that's a little concerning. And then the check battery light comes on. I thought that's a little more concerning. 
Not long after that, and the air condition turned off, the radio turned off, and the screens in the van began to blink. Now I'm really concerned. <laughs> Wasn't long after that that the accelerator stopped accelerating, and instead the accelerator would only rev the engine. So then we know we got big problems. So in that time, we've managed to turn off the highway, off an exit into a neighborhood, and the car dies. So it's 9.30 at night. We're an hour and a half from home. We're in an unfamiliar place. I'm calling on the phone. I'm trying to figure out, okay, do I need to find an Uber to get us to a hotel? But then there's a tow truck. And what do we do if we follow the do we take an Uber to follow the tow truck and then to the hotel, or am I going to sleep in the car, or what's going to happen? And I'm, I'm crying out to the Lord. I, I need some help in figuring out this situation. So we can all recall a time when difficult circumstances or evil or brokenness, they threaten to take us over. And we realize that that difficult thing that's happening to us or about to happen to us, it's out of our control. It's going to hit, or it is hitting, and we can't defeat it on our own. We need help. That's where David is when he's writing these first few verses. Yet, he's dealing with something much more intense than car trouble on the side of the road late at night in an unfamiliar place. He's dealing with things like, perhaps he's looking back, perhaps he's writing about when the Philistine army was coming after the Israelite army, and his brothers were a part of that army. Or perhaps he's thinking about him being in hand-to-hand -hand combat with a giant. Or perhaps he's thinking about when King Saul was throwing a spear at him trying to kill him. Or perhaps he's thinking about when Saul um, marshaled together an army to come after David and kill him. So I don't know which combination of these or which one of these David had in mind when he cries out for help. But I see that he knows he can't do it on his own. He's desperate for refuge and protection. And he's looking to the Lord who is his God and his king. Note also in these first three verses, the frequency of his prayer. When it says, in the morning I lay my request before you, that's implying that this is not just every once in a while, but this is a daily, this is a regular practice of laying his request before the Lord, asking for help. Do you have a daily practice of asking the Lord for help, of crying out to the Lord for help. We should. I think it's actually pretty naive for us to think as we look at the world around us, so many things spinning out of our control, so many difficult circumstances, painful circumstances, our own struggles and, pro and problems and limitations, as all of that is spinning around, if we approach each day and say, I've got this. That's pretty naive. So note as well his, his expectation in these verses. He actually believes that the Lord is going to help him. He's waiting with expectation. I can recall recently, I was sitting down with, in the morning 
with the Lord and, and praying and crying for help in a specific dilemma and asking that the Lord would show me a solution to this specific dilemma. And I prayed, and then I was quiet for a bit and, and expected, hoped that the Lord would give me an answer. And, and sure enough, the Lord brought two ideas that I think were solutions from him to this dilemma. And I was grateful for that. And that's not always the way it works, that we sit down and pray, and a few moments later, the Lord gives us a solution. I think, again, back to that night when we're stuck at 9.30 in an unfamiliar place in uh, an hour and a half away from home. Our van is dead. And an hour later at 10.30, we've been crying out, hoping for help, asking for help. And at 10.30, we still don't know what our solution to this dilemma is going to be. We're, we're, calling, we're trying to sort everything out. We still don't have answers an hour later. So let's continue to listen to what David says next. In verses 4 through 6, he writes this, For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. So David is saying, Lord, you are perfect. And in contrast, he seems to be going on a bit of a tangent about how he feels about wicked people. But really, what David is primarily getting at is this contrast between, Lord, you are perfect and you're utterly opposed to evil. He cries out to, he looks to the Lord, who is his God and his king, and he sees God, and he realizes that, God, you are the kind of person that I need by my side. You are trustworthy. You are good. You are utterly opposed to evil in every way. So there is evil and world brokenness that is often what is bringing the problems and difficult circumstances that I experience and there is the Lord who is utterly opposed to evil. And David declares that the Lord, the Lord is the one he needs. But here's what all of us are thinking when we look through this passage. Verse 6 is just kind of screaming out. And we say, wait, I'm, I'm glad that God is against evil. But does that mean that he's against me? I mean, if, if God hates all who do wrong, if I'm honest, I do wrong. So what does this mean for me? And I hope in the moment, I think, well, maybe, maybe David is um, exaggerating, or maybe he just misspoke a little bit. But I don't think it's that simple. I don't think we have the luxury of saying, oh, he's, yeah, he misspoke, or he's exaggerating, don't worry. God's character is completely opposed to and free from evil. He is holy. There is God and there is evil. The two can never be mixed. God hates all who do wrong. That's so uncomfortable to say, but we can't water it down. 
Think for a moment if, if you stood before someone who you um, came to learn that this person is uh, uh, the organizer of a large organization for human trafficking, and they are responsible for all of this. And imagine how you would feel about them. Imagine what kind of punishment you would want to rain down on them. And then you think, if, if I, as an imperfect, broken person, would feel this way about someone so evil and would want to rain this kind of punishment down on someone that is responsible for that, how much more seriously does the Lord feel about that person, the holy and perfect God? What punishment would he rain down on that person? We'll get more to that in a little bit, but... But for now, I want you to consider then this, this mix of what else we hear in Scripture. When, when Scripture also tells us in 1 John 4 that God is love. And then we read in Romans 5, 8 that um, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that is... God hates all who do wrong, and he demonstrates his love for those who are sinning. How? How, how do they both work together? And this is where I want us to remember that God's revelation doesn't need to fit into our understanding of reality, but it's our understanding of reality that needs to fit into God's revelation. So we'll speak a little bit more about that in a bit. But for now, let's just summarize where we've been so far. David needs help. He's crying out to God. He sees and he knows that God is perfect and utterly opposed in every way to the particular evils that are threatening him in the moment. And then we listen to what he writes in verses 7 and 8. He says, But I, by your great love, can come into your house in reverence I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. So David recognizes, God, you are merciful and wise. I deserve to be in the same category as all these evil people that I've just been calling out. I don't deserve your mercy, but I am receiving your mercy. So in gratitude for the mercy of God, David commits to following God's path. Now, through some life experience, as most of us, all of us can attest, we learn that God's path, God's way, is not without trouble. But it is his good and gracious path designed for us. If I go back to that night when we're stranded uh, Late at night, an unfamiliar place, van broken down. It's now 11 o'clock. And by 11 o'clock, we have learned through interacting through texts and cell phone calls to friends, we've learned that we have two friends in town um, that are willing at last moment to drive an hour and a half up to pick us up and drive us an hour and a half back home. And we're so blessed by their gracious offer. 
And we turned down their offer because we also have a friend whose parents lived 20 miles away, and they had arranged for their parents to come and help us out. So around midnight, their parents show up, and they have two cars with them, and they give us the keys to their brand new Honda CRV, and they say, here, take our Honda, you can follow the uh, tow truck to the dealership, and then you can take our car home so you can sleep in your own bed tonight. When your car is fixed and ready, then you can drive back up and call us, and we'll meet you at the dealership to get our car back. Then they go into their car and they say, oh, also, um, I was baking cookies today, and I thought, maybe you, this would be a good pick-me-up for your family. So they brought us a fresh-baked plate of cookies. God's path is not without trouble. It's not without trouble. It's, it's, it has blessing for us, but it's not without trouble. We, we left them, went and, and dropped our car off at the, uh, the dealership. And then by the time we got home safely, it was three o'clock in the morning. And we hit the bed and fell right to sleep. God's path is not without trouble, but it is his good and gracious path designed for us. Wait for and look for and embrace and follow his path. Let's listen to the next two verses in this psalm. Verses 9 and 10, David writes, Not a word from their mouth, so he's talking about the the evil ones, his enemies, not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. So David is declaring that his enemies are dangerous. They are deceitful. They are lying. He contrasts the path of the Lord, the way of the Lord, with the path of evil. The Lord's is a path that can be trusted. My enemies cannot be trusted. Their way leads to death. The evil path is so deceptive. We have so many things in life, so many ways that the evil one will draw us to a different path, and it looks so attractive in the moment, but it is from the evil one. It is so dangerous. Do not mistake evil for good. Critically examine your heart in every situation. Critically examine the messages you're hearing in all circumstances. For there is an evil one who seeks to devour you. 1 Peter 3.15 says, the, the devil, the evil one, is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour Last week, we pondered this beautiful image of God as our shepherd watching over his sheep. And we had Rob's beautiful, deep voice singing this comforting song over us. So this picture of the shepherd watching over his sheep, beautiful, comforting image. And today, our psalm reminds us about a different part of that same image, that there are predators lurking who seek to devour the sheep. We are living amidst real and present 
danger. This devil who is like a lion looking for someone to devour. As predators look to devour sheep, the evil one looks to destroy us. How careless it would be for a sheep to take on a lion, right? I mean, we can, we can own that as we imagine this little fluffy sheep unsure on his feet with these skinny legs and a lion comes and the sheep says, I've got this. <laughs> we, we know that sounds ridiculous, but that's what we do as we face evil and think it's not a big deal and we think, I've got this. We absolutely need the refuge and the protection of someone more powerful than our enemy because we are not. So then look at this encouraging last two verses in Psalm 5. David writes, But let all who take refuge in you, God, be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. David says, I rest secure in you. God is my refuge. If we turn just a few pages over to Psalm 18, the first three verses, David proclaims, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved by my enemies. God is our refuge and our shield. He's our rock and our fortress. And then in an honest moment, we can ask ourselves, well, what is it that helps, that makes you feel protected? And yes, sometimes I feel protected at, by my God as my rock and my fortress. And sometimes I feel protected or seek protection in um, the shelter of my home or looking for security in our bank accounts. And the reality is that there are many evils and dangers in the world that a nice house and a big bank account will not protect you from. God is our refuge and our shield. Don't be that puffed up sheep who believes that he or she can withstand the attack of the wolf because that's ridiculous. The evil one is far more powerful than we are, yet we Serve a God who is far more powerful than the evil one. God is our refuge and shield. When we face danger, make no mistake that danger is lurking. When we face it, and we face it all over the place, we walk into the world and we're tempted to um, say things we shouldn't say and lose our temper in ways that we shouldn't lose. We're tempted to look at things we shouldn't look at and chase after things that we shouldn't be chasing after. There are temptations all around that look so attractive. They look just fine, but they're so dangerous. A sheep's only hope in the face of danger is to find refuge in the shepherd. 
When we face danger, our only hope is to find refuge and protection in the Lord. So then you might ask, well, what does refuge from the Lord, what does refuge and protection look like? We, we sang actually part of this verse earlier this morning in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Paul writes this, he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. So nothing can separate us from the love of God. While the evil one is more powerful than us, the Lord is far more powerful than the evil one. He is our refuge and our protection. Nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. As we take refuge in him, we are secure in his love. David's proclamation in this psalm is that the beloved of the Lord will rest secure in the loving hands of the living God. And... We know that in a given moment, we are convinced that God's love is not the refuge we want. In a given moment, we are convinced or we're tempted to go after a quicker fix. We're tempted to run after comfort or popularity or success or financial security, those things as our refuge. And the sad truth is that the further we walk down any of those paths, the more they undo us. The evil one is deceptive and powerful in laying out attractive paths that seem like they're good, but they are lies that are out to harm us. The Lord is our refuge. We will find security in his love. Nothing can separate us from his love. But then you might ask yourself the question, well, that verse 6, I can't get that out of my mind. Doesn't he hate those who do wrong? Yes. He rains down punishment on all who do wrong. Yet, for those who put their refuge, for those who put their trust in the Lord, for those who find refuge in the Lord, they experience his protection spread over them through the blood of Jesus on the cross. In Jesus, we find that the Lord is not only our mighty fortress, he is our sacrificial protector. Not only does he save us, does he protect us from, from all of the evils out there that are coming at us, but he is our shield who protects us from the punishment that we deserve for the wrongdoing that we have done. It's not that the Lord withholds that just punishment for our sins, but it's that he shields us from it by receiving it himself through what Jesus did on the cross. I want to close with these words from the psalm again. Verse 12, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with favor, with your favor as a shield. I love you, Lord, my strength. 
The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. I want to take a moment and just consider this before the Lord as the worship team comes up and will lead us in a song in a moment. I want to take a moment and listen to the Lord before we close. Father, we come before you and we hear your word. We hear this reminder that you are our rock and our fortress. You are our deliverer. Father, I pray that we would accept that offer from you as our refuge. Father, we take a moment now to acknowledge and to confess before you the ways that we have run after other things to seek security and refuge, the ways that we have been fooled and followed the lies of the evil ones. Father, we confess these things before you. We accept your forgiveness and we lean on you, you as our refuge. We lean on your love, knowing that nothing can separate us from your love.